Well, good evening. Hope everybody enjoyed the nice clear day today. At least it was clear up near my house. I don't know if it was clear everywhere, but it's probably the least amount of smoke I've seen in a while here. So that was a blessing today. Uh, turn in your Bibles to the book of Malachi, if you will. And if you remember last week, we um, pretty much finished up with chapter 2. There's technically one verse left in chapter 2, verse 17. So we'll look at that today, and then we'll move into chapter 3. Not sure how far we'll get, but we'll, we'll give it a shot and see how far, how far we can go. Um, but if you remember from last, last week, um, we saw this second thing that Malachi, this charge that Malachi brought against the people um, in, in terms of covering the Lord's altar with tears and weeping and groaning because um, the Lord was no longer accepting their offering from their hand. Um, and we'll see that kind of come around again tonight if we, if we get far enough into this. We'll kind of see a turnaround from that. As we get into chapter 3, it, it starts to become... Um, not as heavy for a little bit. There's some, some glimmers of hope, perhaps. If you're those receiving this word from Malachi, there begins to be some, some light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. Um, but, but there's still some, some hard things that Malachi has to say to the people as well. So um, he had a warning last time for them also. Remember, they had been uh, divorcing their wives, doing violence against the covenant uh, that they made with the wives of their youth. And he warned them also um, twice in that passage to guard themselves in their spirit and not to be faithless. Not to be faithless. Um, so, as we've seen throughout Malachi, there's been a number of things that, that Malachi has brought, charges that he's brought against the people. Um, and that's how it'll start out again tonight as we get into verse 17. Uh, and it'll be in a similar pattern that we've seen from Malachi, where he says something about the people and what they're doing or saying, and then he answers for them uh, that, that accusation. So that's what we'll see as we get into it. But let's open with a word of prayer tonight, and then we'll, we'll get started. Father in heaven, thank you for this night. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of uh, getting to come here uh, and gather to sing and to open up your word, or to hear what you have said, as we, we pray each week in thankfulness for this, Lord. And each time we open your word, whether it be in a gathering or whether it be in private, what a privilege, Lord, to be able to hear from you. Thank you for that, Lord. And I pray we would treasure that in our hearts. And I pray, Father, for tonight that you would Take your words that will be read tonight and discussed and um, encourage our hearts with it, Lord. Remind us of who you are and remind us of your promises and the hope that we have in Christ as we can, we can clearly see that coming out in these, in these scriptures, Lord. And help us, Lord, each day to, to walk in the light or to walk with you and as we just sang about, Lord, that it would be on our hearts and our minds always about how great you are. 
Thank you, Lord, for, for salvation. Thank you for your son, for your grace and your mercy and your kindness towards us. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. Let's read that and we'll leave chapter 3 for a bit until we actually get there. But let's read verse 17, okay? You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Okay. Here he lays out a new charge at their feet, uh, that they are wearying the Lord. Again, he makes the charge and then gives their response without them having to speak. Uh, Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Malachi knew what the response of their hearts was to this accusation. As he he lays this out and makes this charge against them, it's a serious charge. I don't know if you've ever told somebody that they're wearying the Lord. (laughs) I've never told anybody that. I can't think of saying something like that because I would have to look in a mirror and look at myself. Uh, but, but this is very serious. This is a prophet of God making this, this charge against them that they're wearying the Lord. Um, and they're, they have extremely rebellious attitudes about this, and they have from, from the very beginning of the book of Malachi. We've seen this attitude in, in them, but but this word wearied, he says that they've wearied him. Now, can God get tired? No, God, God can't get tired. So this is different. <clears throat> different. Uh, when, when we get wearied, we're tired. We're worn out. You know, uh, we're, we're actually physically or mentally depleted to some extent, you and I, when we, when we get wearied. Uh, but God cannot be physically or mentally tired. He cannot be depleted in any sense. That's, that's not who God is. That's not possible for him. So what is being communicated here is that it is, it's put into this human language so that we can have some sense of what it's like for God to hear these things. He's, he's not actually tired, but their, their endless complaints towards him or, or even charges against him are tiresome. And for, from a human perspective, this is what it would be like. Um, that, that it would be a tiresome thing. We can understand that coming from other people, that we can get wearied by someone's behavior towards us or something like that, even mentally, physically tired from those kinds of things. So when it's put into this language for us, we can kind of get a sense of that, but we have to know and remember that God is not actually um, physically or mentally depleted in some way. Um, but what is it that they have done to weary him? It is in what they think or say. He, he says in, in the, the verse there um, that they've wearied him. Uh, he says, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them, or by asking, where is uh, the God of justice? Um, this may or may not be something actually uttered between them from one person to the next person. 
We don't know if they actually uttered these words, but if, if they all feel like this collectively, they probably have talked about it. If you think about that, and you and I are, are not really different, if we're all thinking one thing in particular, and we know another person is thinking that, we may spend time talking about that and how we feel that way about whatever the subject is. So uh, we could probably assume that they're discussing this with one another because it's not just one person that's feeling this way, but it's also not everyone. We can't, this charge isn't being laid at the feet of every single Jew, but, but again, like, like we talked about last week, it's, a, it's quite a big number of them. It's a prevalent view among them. Uh, and so it may or may not have been something they actually said. I think they probably did discuss it, but it is surely what they're thinking. It's surely what they are believing in their hearts, and this is, the, this is what he's saying, that this is what is inside of them, how they feel towards God and what they think about God, and he's calling them out on it, and what we see on their part is a complete lack of self-awareness, okay, in their, in their response, like they're they're dull here, <laughs> dull of thinking. Uh, and, it, and it's also betraying hearts. Their hearts are full of pride as well. Um, and, and so what is it that they're saying or believing? Malachi says it's, it's that they're saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Now, this is extremely bad. Okay, this is a really bad thing for them to be saying or thinking about God. Um, what's that? Mm. Oh, okay. I, I hear what you're saying now. Calling, calling what is good evil and what is evil good. Okay. But this is different. Okay, but what's going on here is, is different than what the prophet Isaiah says about sinful people who determine to make what is evil good and what is good evil. There, that is a thing in Scripture, and we see um, Isaiah talking about that in Isaiah 5.20. He says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Okay, so, so Isaiah did address that, but this is different. That, that is different. That's people like you and I, and we certainly do see that in our culture today, that what God says is evil, our culture says is perfectly fine. And what, what God says is good, they would say is evil. Okay? Um, but that, this is different. What's going on here in Malachi's day and what he's charging the people with is different. They're saying something different here. Um, what we saw there is, in, in what Isaiah said, is God's pronouncement of a woe or judgment on those people who commit or who condone the com- to be committed what God has declared to be evil and calling it good, or to accuse those who are doing good of actually doing evil. It is a description of their, really their utter hatred to, uh, toward God and his law and his holiness. That's what, what Isaiah is describing. Now what's going on here? is that the people that Malachi is talking to, the people are lobbying accusations at God. Okay? This is how they are wearying him. There's two accusations that they make toward God. And the first one is that basically that God sees the evil that's going on, and yet he ignores it. He does nothing. 
And the second thing that they, that they talk about there is, is really that God is unjust. Okay, they, when they ask, where is the God of justice? He's nowhere to be found, apparently. He's ignoring all this sin, and they're somehow, you know, feeling self-righteous about that. And, like, they have some charge to bring against God now. This is, this is bad. Like I said, it's a, it's a really bad attitude that they have towards God. Um, and they're, they're saying people are doing evil continually and God does nothing about it. Therefore, that means God thinks the evil they're doing is good. Okay? So they've concluded that because they have not seen God do anything about the evil that's going on, he must approve of it. Okay? And keep in mind, these are not... Uh, innocent people. <laughs> These are not sinless people making this charge against God. Again, there's a real lack of self-awareness here. Um, someone might say today that this is a, a tone-deaf response. After what we've already seen in the, in the first two chapters of Malachi, why is this such a tone-deaf statement from the people? Why do you think that would be tone deaf on their part or or this lack of self awareness. Okay, yeah, they're not hearing the words of the law. They're not they have a total disregard for for what God says. Yeah, the priests are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. The the people are they're really guilty of the worst kinds of sin against God. You know Blasphemy, yeah. They, they have offered polluted sacrifices. They're, they're not doing what God has, God has told them to do, and they've been charged with it over and over again in this letter already. And now here we are. They're bringing charges against God, and that's why I talk about this as being, it's really tone deaf from them. They have, like, no awareness that they, are, they have been doing the worst things, um, and they're blinded, basically, to their own sin. As they, as they bring this accusation against God. And, and second, they're, they're pretty much mocking God. They've made their first accusation, and their second one plays off of it. They say, after they talk about, uh, basically, that, that God is, sees all the evil and, and does nothing about it, uh, now they're saying, where's the God of justice? Okay, that... I mean, that indicates that they know that God is, is a just God and God, uh, that that is one of his characteristics. That's, he is a God of justice. That's part of his character. Um, and so that's what they're lobbing back at him, basically. You, you say you're a, God, a just God who will punish sin. Where are you on this, God? Um, basically, they're basically saying, you're a liar. You say you're a just God and you'll punish sin, but look at all this. Where are you? You're doing nothing. Okay, this is, I mean, if you're one of the people there, maybe that someone is saying this in your hearing and you're, you don't feel that way, like you're still revering God and honoring God and you hear that, that's the kind of thing that makes you want to take a few steps away from that person. Uh, you know, the lightning bolt's going to come down. You know, that's, this is serious, to, to say stuff like this about God. 
uh, you know, they're, they're basically pronouncing one of Isaiah's woes or judgments on God. Woe to you, God, for calling evil good and good evil. That's, that is not what God is doing. That is not what's going on. They're, uh, it sounds like they're calling on God for justice. Okay, but here's a question. If, the, if they really thought this through for a minute, why should they come to the conclusion that asking for God's justice is a bad idea? Because what? Because they might get it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. They, this, is, this is a really bad idea if they, if they were to really think it through and really do some self-reflection here. Uh, that they, they shouldn't be bringing this accusation against God. What they, they've really been receiving continuous mercy from God. Uh, even in the face of all their, their sinfulness, throughout the history of, of the Israelites, um, mercy after mercy after mercy, God gives to them. If, if, they're, if they're seeing evil done and nothing happening to the perpetrators of that evil, what have the people actually been seeing from God? What, what can this actually be chalked up to okay mercy what else patience patience and long suffering yeah that doesn't apparently come up in their conversations that maybe God is being being patient all right uh, I, I think what they have been seeing is what Peter described about God in second Peter 3, nine, where it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some account slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I think, I think they've seen that over and over again, and they're, they're mistaking this, what, what they see, for God um, not being a just God. They're completely missing the point about repentance. And it's what we talked about last week. God is after a people who have what kind of heart? Broken and contrite heart, right? And remember that the people are not repentant. That's what's been going on. That's been the problem. Um, and, and so they're thinking that God is, is unjust. But really, they're the ones that are unjust. I want to look at an example um, if you would turn to Ezekiel, chapter 18. Ezekiel, chapter 18, verses 25 through 30. Let's go actually through 32. 25 through 32. Um, Ezekiel 18, 25 through 32. Okay, yet you say, the way of the Lord is not just. Hear now, O house of Israel, is my way not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? When a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. For the injustice that he has done, he shall die. Again, when a wicked person turns away from wickedness, he has committed and does what is just and right, he shall save his life. 
because he considered and turned away from all the transgressions that he had committed. He shall surely live. He shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, The way of the Lord is not just. O house of Israel, are my ways not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. Okay, this is major theme of repentance here. And this is what is not happening with the people that Malachi is writing to. They do not have broken and contrite hearts. They are not repentant. And God has said over and over again, if his people will turn, turn back to him, they will live. So now, Malachi is going to answer this accusation of theirs in the, ne- in the next chapter. And even though it's really an evil thing for them to be believing about God, you know, they want to know where the God of justice is. That is, the God who's characterized by justice. They're saying, where is this God? Well, Malachi uh, will answer that in chapter 3. So let's look at verse 1 of Malachi chapter 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, behold, I send my messenger. Really, that has the idea of, I'm about to send. Or, this, is, this is going to happen. This is imminent. Okay? It's, it's not, there's not some possibility that it's not going to happen. It's absolutely going to happen. Um, and it doesn't mean next week, but it could, this kind of statement. Um, with God, it doesn't have to be tomorrow or next week to be imminent okay, for him to make a statement like this. God's not restricted by or measured by time like we are, but make no mistake that the messenger is coming. Okay, behold, I I send my messenger, he says. So question, who who is the messenger that God is sending to prepare the way? What is who is this referring to? Right, John the Baptist. That's that's the messenger. John the Baptist. How can we know that? This is what's being talked about here. Well, we can look at the scripture, and the scripture will tell us that. If you uh, turn over to the book of Matthew, the next book to the right, Matthew chapter 11. Okay, and looking at verses uh, 7 through 10. And this is going to be Jesus talking here. And he's telling the people who John was. Verse, starting in verse 7 of chapter 11. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? 
a reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Okay, he's talking, he goes on to continue talking about John, but he's quoting this, that scripture from Malachi. It's directly tied in there. And Jesus is saying uh, in the New Testament to those people that John is the one that was being talked about by Malachi. Okay? Um, he, he's quoting Malachi. And we should also notice something very interesting, I think, uh, occurring between the Malachi passage and the Matthew passage. And it has to do with a change that Jesus makes in the wording of, of Malachi's prophecy. He makes a, sort of a minor change there. Uh, in the wording. And really what we see here is Jesus making, making a clear claim of deity in, this, in what he's saying there. Because the people that Jesus is talking to, they know the Old Testament scriptures. They know what Malachi wrote. And so when Jesus quotes that and, and changes it a bit, he's making a statement. And uh, one commentator, uh, Alan Ross, put it this way. <clears throat> Jesus does something very significant in his use of Malachi. He changes the pronoun from my face to your face. In Malachi, the Lord, Yahweh, was speaking, saying, I, Yahweh, am sending my messenger before my, Yahweh's, face. Then when the Son of God spoke of John, he wanted to make clear that if John, who introduced him and preached repentance, was this forerunner in Malachi, then he, Jesus, was Yahweh. The my face in Malachi is interpreted to be your face in Matthew by Jesus. This was not a not-so-veiled claim of deity. So it's interesting that Jesus takes that opportunity there. What's that? Which part? When I finished it out, he said, the, the my face in Malachi is interpreted to be your face in Matthew by Jesus. This was a not-so-veiled claim of deity, is what he said. Right? Jesus is making a claim of deity there, and he wasn't really hiding it. Um, Jesus did that a few times, and it's what really ruffled feathers uh, when he made claims of deity. What's that? That was Matthew... Um, Where's my thing there? Matthew chapter 11, verses 7 through 10 is what we read there. So John is the messenger. John the Baptist is the messenger that Malachi says the Lord is about to send. Even though it will be another, again, remember it's imminent, but it'll be, still be another 400 years before John the Baptist comes. But God can still word it that way because 400 years in the scheme of eternity, is a blip on the screen. Okay, um, so he can he can still say it as if, you know, it, as if it's coming tomorrow. This is it's gonna happen. I'm sending, he says. So, in a nutshell, what was what was the message of <clears throat> John the Baptist when John the Baptist came? What was his message, sort of, in a nutshell? What was that? Okay, repentance. 
Yeah. Luke 3, 3 says, And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Okay? That's the, the basic message of John the Baptist. Okay? And this is, how, this is how the way is prepared. They, the people are told to get ready. Spiritually speaking, to get ready. Repentance is what is needed to receive the coming Messiah, of whom Malachi said is the Lord whom you seek in the passage that we read. Okay? And, and Malachi said, the Lord will suddenly come. Yes? It's still, you know, first of all, we see that even when Jesus came and was baptized, that he was doing that in obedience. It was, it, he said it was something that needed to be done. Remember, like Brandon talked about, that John didn't want to baptize Jesus. He thought Jesus should be baptizing him. But this is still something that gave a picture of what Jesus came to do. There was this, this washing involved, this being being buried and raised to new life, all that being a part of, of what was coming. And it was part of John's message of repentance. It went along with repentance uh, in this, this cleansing fashion to be able to uh, um, be spiritually prepared for the Messiah. This is part of um, being connected to the Messiah, being identified with the Messiah. Um, somebody else had their hand up. What, what's that? Yeah, they had a lot of cleansing rituals, yeah, but that was different. Yeah, this is definitely new. Well, this is new. What's going on there is new. All those, the cleansing rituals, the things that they had to do, for the temple service and all that, that's different. Those, because all that went away. Right. Right. It's similar in that they're both a washing, but not similar in terms of what was going on in the temple uh, with those other things, because again, those things were just a shadow of what was to come. 
Okay. You had a Right. Yeah. John the Baptist was a, a foreshadowing of Christ. Yes. Yeah. He, that was all part of preparing the way. Um, right. Yeah. And Brandon talked about that again last week. I think it was last week in his sermon. I was talking about John and, and Jesus and that difference there in, in age uh, and that John didn't necessarily spend his life around Jesus um, but certainly recognized who he was when he came uh, because he proclaimed who he was to the people, the one who would take away the sin of the world. Um, so he's, Malachi said that the Lord will suddenly come to his temple. And again, we see the scripture informing us that the Messiah would be, would be divine. Malachi is talking to the people about the Messiah that they're waiting for. And since the temple in the Old Testament was called the, the house of Yahweh, this tells us that the Messiah will be Yahweh. And Malachi said he will come to his temple. Okay, the, the Messiah is not just a man or um, not, not a created being sent by God, but God himself, Yahweh. Um, so when, when do we see at least a partial fulfillment of, of Malachi's prophecy about this coming to his temple. Yeah, when we see him come into the temple and and he clears the temple, he clears the temple of all the money changers. Yeah, we're going to get to that as well. But this is, you know, when Jesus entered the temple um, and cleansed the temple for the first time, according to John's gospel, uh, in John 2, 14 and 15, he said, In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting, sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. I always like that account because Jesus actually made the whip that he used. I wonder how long it took him. I'm always picturing him sitting there braiding this whip and however long it took, I don't know, but and planning what he was going to do. But uh, Zechariah 14, 20 and 21 says, okay, we're now looking at the Old Testament. And on that day there shall be inscribed on the bells of the horses, holy to the Lord. And the pots in the house of the Lord shall be as the bowls before the altar. And every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holy to the Lord of hosts, so that all who sacrifice may come and take of them and boil the meat of the sacrifice in them. And there shall no longer be a traitor in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. And we see this picture of, of him driving them out. There, And these Old Testament Jews would not have they would not have had trouble believing that the Messiah would come from God um, and even that he could be pre-existent, but they would not have understood him to be divine, but you know, perhaps created by God and sent by God. Um, and when Daniel talked about it, 
uh, in Daniel 7, 13 and 14, he said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Okay, what, was, what can we see in the New Testament about when Jesus gets there and how the Jews receive him? Even at the point where they, there was a point where they believed he was the Messiah, but what was the problem with what they believed about him as the Messiah? Okay, you know, they would take the Old Testament scriptures and look at what they say, and they would understand him to be somebody that uh, uh, was, came and, and took dominion and you know, conquered and all these kinds of things. And so that's what they're expecting. Um, and so, but it, for, for part of the time, they were okay with believing Jesus was the Messiah, but that didn't last too long. Um, we can see it in how he was received by the Jews um, on the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But when he claimed to be God, he's charged with blasphemy. Okay, that's what they used against him. And we have the benefit of both the Old Testament and the New Testament scriptures that are the further revelation of God to, to clear this up. And we have the benefit of that. Um, but they, they didn't have the benefit of that. They knew that the Messiah was coming. They were looking forward to the Messiah coming. But they didn't have God's full revelation on what that would look like and who that would be. Um, when Malachi says suddenly here, he, he talks about that um, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. He's not saying that he'll come quickly, but that he'll, he'll come surprisingly, okay? Uh, sort of unannounced, in a sense. He's, um, and he's also referred to in verse 1 as the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And this speaks of the new covenant that will be in Christ's blood, but the Jews, the Jewish nation as a whole never recognized Jesus as the Messiah. Um, and Jesus spoke about their rejection of him in Matthew 23. If you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 23. And we'll look at verses 37 through 39. Okay, and here's what Jesus says. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Paul, Paul also spoke about this and, and made it clear what God was doing with the Jews uh, when, and when it would all change. And if you want to turn over to Romans, Romans chapter 11. And look at verses 25 through 29. 
Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Okay, speaking of the Jewish nation who will reject, who have rejected Christ, and it will be, he says, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So God has this plan on how this is going to work, and there is a partial hardening going on here, and it's, uh, you know, Paul says what that's all about. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. You know, the Jews reject the gospel, and what do the apostles do? They take it out to the Gentiles, okay? So in that rejection, it goes out to the Gentiles, it goes out to all the world. That's benefiting you and I, that the gospel has gone out. And, but God is not finished with the Jews. He has a plan, and that's what's being talked about here. That will be... Uh, you know, what we just read about will be when verse 2 of Malachi's prophecy comes into play. So let's look back at Malachi chapter 3, verse 2. Okay, remember we just finished talking about how he said, Behold, I send my messenger, um, he'll prepare the way for me, and then um, it's talking about the Messiah coming, and he'll go to his temple. And here verse 2 says, But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. You wanted to know where the God of justice is? He's coming. But Malachi asks a hard question. But who can endure the day of his coming? And he goes on to ask, who can stand when he appears? Basically, who can survive this? Who can remain standing on that day when he comes? Well, what is the answer to these rhetorical questions? Who can survive this? Who can, who can stand and who can endure? What's the answer to those? Yeah. Well, basically, no one except what you're talking about, those who are in Christ. No one can stand. This is a, a fearful thing. This is a, a question asked so that they can ponder and realize, I'm in big trouble. I'm in, I'm in big trouble. No one can re remain standing and no one can survive this. Why? Because he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He's coming to judge. And that, that day is the day of judgment and Malachi tells them what it will be like. He tells them what he is like. He is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. Now, a refiner's fire is a fire that it doesn't consume everything, whatever the element is that's being refined. It doesn't completely consume that. What's it doing? Okay, burning away the dross. You know, 
burning off the imperfections, um, all the impurities that are being burnt off of it. But it's not consuming it. It's, it's a purging of imperfections and spots, but not a destroying. And then we have that uh, idea of the fuller's soap. And these are both used to describe what happens at this judgment. The fire burns off, the soap washes, but the element, whatever that is, is still there. It's not removed. Okay? It's, the imperfections are burnt off. The spots are removed. It's washed. Um, and Jesus didn't do these when uh, at his first appearance. He came and made himself known, and he did the work of the Father in making payment for sin. And now there's a, there's a fire for refinement, and there is an unquenchable fire for judgment. And only those who, again, we come back to this same thing that we haven't been seeing from the people, which is a repentant heart. Only those who repent from sin and turn to the Savior will be refined. Those who reject will experience the unquenchable fire. Okay, so that when, you, when he asks these questions, who can stand? Who can endure this? Well, nobody can. Unless you get to what he's been after and what he's been talking about, that, that the people of God would come, would turn back to God in a repentant heart, broken and contrite hearts. Okay, Malachi 3.3, 3, looking at verse 3, he says, He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Okay, he, will, he will sit on that day in the place of the refiner, doing his refining and purifying, like what is done with gold and silver. Okay, again, we talked about what that fire does, and in particular with metals, burning away those imperfections. And he uses the example of gold and silver there. They would understand what that means. As he gives them this picture, they understand what that means. Again, it's removing the imperfections to reveal what is good or righteous. And it all speaks of salvation for those who are refined. Uh, So are, are the people refining themselves in good deeds? No. No, the Lord himself is doing the refining. Okay, verse 3 again. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Okay, he is doing this. God is doing this, not the people. They're not refining themselves. And according to verse 3, what will this cause to happen with the people when they come before the Lord. According to verse 3. Okay, it says, it says, and they will bring offerings in righteousness before the Lord. They will now bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. And that's the opposite of what they've been doing. As Malachi has been writing and charging them with all these things, they've been doing the opposite of that. And he's telling them what God is going to do in the future with the sons of Levi. And, and Jesus also referenced a, a partial fulfillment of this 
and a future fulfillment of this day that Malachi is talking about when he read from the scroll of Isaiah, and Vic mentioned that earlier. Um, And Jesus read this scroll of Isaiah before the people at the synagogue. If we turn over to Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, and look at verses 18 through 21. Okay, now, now right before this, the scroll, it says in verse 17, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, and then he quotes from Isaiah, starting in verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Okay, so Jesus takes this scroll and reads from Isaiah, closes it up, or rolls it up, uh, and, and says, This, what I just read, has been fulfilled in your hearing. And he chose that place of scripture and he chose, that place of, he chose where to stop reading in that place of Scripture also. Isaiah 61.1 is what Jesus read uh, in the first part of verse 2. But um, he read the portion where, um, and said this is what was fulfilled in him that day, which is the Spirit of the Lord God. This is from Isaiah 61.1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he stopped there. Okay, now, he went partway into Isaiah 61 too, but he left out the last part of the verse, which would have gone on to mention the day that Malachi is talking about here. Isaiah 61 too, which he read the first part of, it said, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He stopped there. If he would have kept going, he would have said, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Okay? And it speaks of both those who are refined and those who are judged under the vengeance of God for unbelief. But a look at what is promised in verse 4 because of the work of the Lord in, in refining his people. In Malachi uh, chapter 3, verse 4, says, then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Remember Malachi 2, chapter 2, verse 13, which said, And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. And back in chapter 1, verse 10, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire upon my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. Now look at the difference in chapter 3, verse 4. Now their offering will be pleasing to the Lord. He says, as in the days of old and as in former years. We saw a reference to that in chapter 2 when it talked about the covenant with Levi and how it used to be. Um, and so, but now, 
What will have changed on the day that the offerings will now be pleasing? Right now, he's not accepting offerings from their hands. What was that? After God refined them, yes. So they've been refined. What else is a part of that? Okay, right? Sin has been paid for, okay, by Jesus. The, the people will now have what's been missing all along, repentant hearts, okay? They're brought back to where they need to be. Now, at that, at that day, those who are refined, those who are in Christ, uh, will now have their, uh, their offerings will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old. Okay, so there's this glimmer of hope there that I was talking about. They've, they've had all this really hard things being said to them and how God is not accepting their offerings. But here he's also promising in the future that that will change. Okay, they don't know exactly when and they surely couldn't have imagined it would be another 400 years before the Messiah came. But, but it's again, still what has been missing is this, the repentant hearts that need to be there and they haven't had that. But we see again, basically this promise from God that those who have repentant hearts are those who will live. And he does it through this refining, through, through, through fire like what is done with metal and getting rid of the imperfections. Again, the only way they can come, eventually come in righteousness is through Christ, through the Messiah. That is when these offerings will be, will be brought to the Lord in righteousness. It's only by those who are in Christ. And, and the Jews have not been excluded from that forever. Okay, he talked, Paul talked about how there's this hardening, but there will come a day when God will, will do this refining. Okay? Uh, we're out of time, so we have to end. <laughs> time goes by quickly. Uh, so uh, I won't be here next week. Somebody else will be here. I'm not sure who it will be and what they'll be teaching on, but when we come back, whenever I come back, we'll be picking it up in, in verse 5 of chapter 3 in Malachi. So let's close in prayer for tonight. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, uh, again for this night, and thank you for your word and for what we've seen here, and thank you, Lord, that we have the benefit of, of your New Testament revelation, Lord, that we can put all these pieces together. We can see not only what was said to, to your people in the days of Malachi, but, Father, we can see the answer to these things. We can, we can see when the Messiah came, and we can see when he fulfilled prophecy. And we can see, even in the New Testament writings, that he's still coming. We are waiting for him to return, Lord. But we are so grateful for his work that he did when he came to earth, that he lived a sinless life that we couldn't live in order to give us his righteousness through faith. We thank you, Lord, for his death on the cross and his resurrection. We thank you for your offer of salvation and, Lord, how you do the refining. We thank you, Father, that it is not a work that we have to do because we could never do it, Lord. We could not stand, we could not endure on that day without you working. And we thank you and we praise you in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.